Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. You are about to listen to part two of our discussion on The Inbetweeners. Part one went out last week, so check that out if you haven't already. We've already discussed some of the actors, and we're halfway through an episode that we're talking about, which is series two, episode one, The Field Trip. Please be aware that because of the nature of the show, we are foregoing our usual PG rating. We will be using some naughty words and some filthy imagery. Do enjoy that if that's your cup of tea. Here we go. So let's let's talk about Simon a little bit. Definitely the most relatable character. I think the most normal, straight down the line character. And there's so, there's so much to it. The way he interacts with his parents is so good. It's it's just the yeah. right the right side of true. Like compared to say Kevin and Perry, yeah. you know the way like that is a cartoon representation of teenagers talking to their parents. What made me laugh most about it was the was the contrast between the way he was talking to his mates and just the fury. And the indignation. Yeah. And it was just like changing gear. Like he would be literally talking to someone next to him and then his mum would come in the room and he would just flip a switch. Oh, how yeah. can you, oh, why do you treat me like this? Just amazing. And it's, again, incredibly true, incredibly relatable. The bit I really like is in the, I think it's the very first episode. So we're sort of still introducing the characters and they're getting ready to go out. There's a lot of gel you've got in your hair. What? Smells quite strongly too. Why are you telling this to me now? I'm just mentioning it. I can see you've got a lot in, that's all. What? I don't... I mean, I can't wash it now, can I? I've not got time. God, I don't know why you are like this sometimes. <laughs> but that... But again, it's just, it ties into that being so concerned with your appearance. Like, he's got this really gelled up quiff, which was kind of... Uh, I think even in 2008 was a bit past the past its sell-by date. But that's why... the, the And the casting of, of Joe Thomas, I think, is perfect because he has such a plain face. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and this hair that is just doing nothing. Like, yeah. it's like that person is desperately trying to make something... Uh, like, look, oh, look, this is my personality. This is going to sound, this word is going to sound a lot more insulting than I mean it to, but he's quite vacant. He, 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 you can, yeah, you yeah. can project onto him. He was in, um, he was in one of the later series of Taskmaster where, you know, he's mm. being himself and, and he was kind of similar. He was just like a grown up. So that's it. And it just, you know, you could, like I say, you could project what you want onto him. That's exactly right. And I think he is a little bit vacant. He has this vacant look in his eyes, like he yeah. doesn't quite know what's going on all the time, which I think is really good for the character. It comes across as quite, quite nice. You know, he seems like a perfectly nice guy and quite adorable in many ways, quite sensitive. Yeah. I heard James Buckley telling a story once where they were doing, it might be from the film, but they're doing the scene where Joe Thomas has to go off and do something. It's like he's the center of the scene, but they're all in it. And for one reason or another, technical problems, this goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. They, would do, they had to do several takes of it. So it got to, oh, scene 32, take 10. And just, and just before the yell action, James Buckley goes, oh, double figures. Just, <laughs> just to mess with his head. Because it's like, he knows he's at the center of this thing and it keeps going wrong. And is it his fault? Am I doing something wrong? <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> and that's what I mean, I think. The characters are not that far removed from the actors. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very good. So, yeah, before we leave Simon, uh, let's talk about Carly. Oh, yeah. Another regular character. The girl next door, basically. He's Who he's known since they were four. Their families are friends. Yeah, they've known each other since they were kids. And so they're friends. You know, they're not... She's yeah. not a, She's not a, interested in him as a boy. 
Uh, again, something I think we can all relate to one way or another, and it, it creates a really nice drive for him throughout the series and then throughout the films even. And so I, I want to talk about Carly, the character, because I find yeah. her really interesting. And one thing that this the show and the films in general are missing is a female presence. Mm. Now, there are women in it, but they are there to serve the kind of interests of the men. Yeah. And... We're not going to talk about the films here in any great detail, but I think the first film shows this dramatically because they have a kind of equivalent girl group yes. uh, that they interact with. And the lack of recognition there in those characters, the fact that these men cannot write for teenage girls is much more apparent there. Yes. So what I do like about Carly is that it's not overplayed. And we see it in this episode, in fact, in the field trip. She sees Simon is talking to another girl and we don't get this kind of menacing, oh, I'm going to go and ruin this. Oh, I'm really jealous. But mm -hmm. she just goes over and she makes sure he knows that she's still there. Yeah. And and I don't think it's even perhaps from a character point of view, conscious. I yeah. think she's just kind of going, oh, I better go and talk to Simon. And I think that there's a real beauty to that. And I think we see that throughout. She'll make sure he's still on the line all yes. the time. And again, I don't think it comes from a, a nasty place. She seems really nice to him. When he graffitis her driveway, she realizes that he's going to have the Mickey taken out of him so badly. And so she throws him a bone. She says like, oh no, I think you, this is a really nice thing to do. Come and come and see me later. And and she, just because she knows his mates are laughing at him. So yeah. like, I think there's there's moments there where she's, she is being nice to him. Well, I think it's what you were saying earlier about um, a, a teenage boy's warped perceptions of female affection. <laughs> you know, she's nice to him mm. because she's known him for 12 years and he's her yeah. friend. But, but he thinks it's much more than that because he's a bag of hormones. Yes. But also, because they're 16, 17, maybe every now and then she goes like, do you know what? I'm going to get off with him. It doesn't yeah. really mean anything. Yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm in the right mood for it right now. We've had a couple yeah. of drinks. You know, it's like that. It's, it's impossible to give her a kind of clarity of strategy or motivation either because she's a raging bag of hormones. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't write for teenage girls either. I've never understood <laughs> when I was a teenage boy. So. <laughs> so Carly is played by an actor called Emily Head. Mm. who uh, she's gone on to do other things. But uh, most interestingly, she is the daughter of popular coffee salesman, Anthony Head. Uh, the gold blend man. Yes, who uh, appears in the film as Will's dad. Yeah, he Will's plays Will's dad, dad in the film, doesn't he? Yeah, Little cameo there. So uh, I'm sure that's how they ended up getting him <laughs> on the yes, job. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Well, you know, the coffee adverts are not a full-time job, so... You know, he probably had a bit of time. <laughs> Do you think when they called that character Carly D'Amato, they em they envisioned someone with a slightly more Mediterranean look? <laughs> <laughs> Not the whitest blonde it is girl. It's a peculiar <laughs> name, isn't it? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with Smith? <laughs> Do you know what's really weird is that they never make the tomato joke, which is just begging to be made. It's just sitting there it's, waiting to be squished. Yeah. Although I did, uh, I read in um, some sort of corresponding material, you know, kind of add-on material that they, something that supposedly written from her character. She said, "Oh, the boys used to call me tomato, but they seemed to stop when I got rid of my braces and grew tits." <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our episode then. So um, they've had this day in Swanage and they're back in their dorm. Uh, they're all asleep. And of course, now Neil's been swimming with Pedo Kennedy and yeah. Kennedy comes back in to give... Oh, he's given them a bottle of vodka, which as Will correctly points out, that's grooming. Uh, so yes. Peter Kennedy arrives and gives, you know, get rid of the lactic acid in your legs. We'll give him a little rub. And the other three boys are just watching this going, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> Neil's so stupid. He's like, uh, okay. And then... <laughs> Of course, of course, uh, Mr. Gilbert comes in and, and rest. Come on, John. 
rescues the situation. <laughs> Lactic acid, come on, John. Not now, John. <laughs> it's an interesting scene. I think I think largely this whole general pedo thing, they just about get away with it because of Neil's incredulousness to it. We know yeah. he's not emotionally scarred by it. Yeah, but I, 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 yeah I think you're right, but I, I, I do think it's a little bit much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But uh, so this leads us to day two of the field trip, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we get to day two, why don't we finish our four and talk about Neil? Yeah. So Neil is just adorably stupid. He seems like mm. a really nice lad, but just really thick. Yes. Cartoonishly thick. Yeah, but it, yeah, he's thick. But I think it, it, the reason to get away with it here, and it works a bit better than just a normal comedy stereotype, is that he's, he's almost otherworldly. He's mm. floating around in a bubble around people, like, and he seems really happy. <laughs> he does seem lot. happy. You know, I wrote down here, he, he's genuinely the happiest of the four with his lot. Yeah. Oh, I've yeah. written down here, I envied these guys so much. <laughs> so when I was that hormonal teenager, I knew people like that who were just, you know, just happy to get on with things. Didn't really think about much stuff much, just getting on with their lives. And I thought, oh God, yeah. I wish I could be that thick. <laughs> And it, I guess it's the ignorance is bliss thing, but he yeah. it, it means he's not considering his lot in life and where he's failed and all that. And if he fancies a girl, he'll go up and go, all right, you're nice, aren't you? I, just want, I fancy you. And, yeah. and <laughs> he's not overthinking it. Yeah, and he'll he'll turn up to the dance in a stupid suit and then and try and dance in a ridiculous way to him, yeah. not to impress everyone, just because he likes to dance. He just likes to yeah. throw himself around. He's adorable. He is a he's a ray of sunshine, I suppose, and yeah, he is the one is. who just who who will encourage the others. Just go like, well, stop worrying about it. And let's let's go and have some fun. In fact, that's that's what happens in the first film. He literally goes and t- Will is having a bit of a hard time, and he goes and talks to him and says like, oh, I just never worry about it. I just think if it's fun, I'm going to do it. And he's yeah. like, yeah, it's a good idea actually. Let's go and get drunk and have a pie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's quite a literal way of doing it. But I think he's doing that all the time. In a perhaps like a sixteen year old, like, hey, let's look at those flowers. Let's go and smash the heads off those flowers. That'll be a laugh. <laughs> but yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so, what about Blake Harrison then? What was his background? Well, there's not much to talk about in terms of the background. He was an actual actor, though, wasn't he? Rather than a comedian. Yes, yes, an actor, and uh, he he just auditioned for the part and got the part. And obviously, he was straight out of drama school kind of age, so. Not much to tell, really, in, in terms of the backstory. More, more to tell in the what came afterwards. But like I say, I think we'll do that at the end. We'll kind okay. of do a wrap All up right, afterwards. So let's not let's not worry about him at the moment. Well, if we go back to our episode, we talked about um, Kennedy. Now the next day, there's uh, a little bit of shenanigans, but we end up we we see Jay convinced that another older lady is the, the one that he's made up. Yeah, and he you know he goes over and approaches her, and he gets slapped again, and. <laughs> To cut a long story short, they all end up going out on this boat in the harbour. Will's hired the boat because he wanted to impress Lauren, mm-hmm. but he ends up stuck with the other three, as he always does. That's, that is, getting stuck with them is, is so true. Like the time where Simon, so in this later series, Simon and his girlfriend are going to see visit his girlfriend's sister because she's at uni. And the, and the girlfriend has basically said, I want to lose my virginity with you, but my, like, let's go to my sister's house. We can have like better privacy there. Mm-hmm. And the other three boys are going like, oh, we'll go with you. And yeah. then he just takes them. Yeah. Like, he doesn't say no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course you're not coming. <laughs> Ridiculous idea. But that's because of his fear of uh, sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And uh, I think, actually, speaking of that, a very similar thing with Will. Uh, there's a very specific example where they go to the caravan club uh, with Jay. 
Yeah. And Will is just sort of hanging out, and this very forward girl comes up to him and says, like, we're going to take you outside, we're going to have sex right now. And uh, just through his own fear, I guess, yeah. <laughs> he decided... Why don't we have a drink he's desperately, Yeah, he's like, well, you know, let's get to know each other a little bit. And then his, his gambit to try and sort of slow the process down, because it's just a little bit too scary for him, is to go... Hang on, I mean, we, we barely know each other. We should get to know each other a bit first, shouldn't we? I mean, come on, we... We're young. Let's have some fun and then fall exhausted into each other's arms. Well, I've got an idea. Did you ever used to skid as a child? I used to love it. Come on! Let's skid! Woo! Woo! Get your shoes off! It's liberating! <laughs> if there is not a better metaphor for being afraid of becoming a man, Regress <laughs> to the boy. <laughs> yes, and this this is a story from uh, one of the writers, Ian Morris. Uh, is something that happened to him. Although I believe it happened to him at uni when he was sort of <laughs> about twenty one years old. <laughs> but, same principle. Uh, but I think if we if we talk about the writers now, because there's there's so much in this that comes directly from the experiences of the writers. And yeah. or you know either it happened to them or oh this happened to a friend of mine so so much so like for example sticking your head out the window and and, and shouting bus wanker that happened to Damon Beasley one of the writers that happened to a friend of his he was stood at a bus stop and someone shouted bus wanker at them. <laughs> like oh is that a thing they do now is that what the kids do <laughs> <laughs> and again that's another that's another great example because that's something that really caught on that, like, yeah that like, off the page, just something it? that everyone could resonate with but yeah so. Let's talk about the writers here because they're obviously a. This is a major part of them. This is a very personal writing. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell that I think, and it and there's so much in this that feels like you, you can look at it and go, "That's a real story." We'll come to an example here in this episode: punching a fish to death. Yeah, like the, it doesn't go anywhere. It's not particularly funny. It's like that just has. That must be just a real thing that happened to someone, <laughs> and they're just they're relating it. Yeah. But, but yeah, so the writers. Uh, Damon Beasley and Ian Morris, born in the early 70s. So that just kind of put a, a kind of a date on that in terms of when mm. they were adolescents. And they actually met working on the 11 o'clock show. Oh, okay. I remember the 11 o'clock show. I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm. Which the 11 o'clock show somehow appears to be the, the kind of most fecund comedy breeding ground since yeah, no, like, it was the day-to-day. Day. So Ricky Gervais <laughs> first did stand-up. and um, Exactly, yeah. Uh, Ali, the Ali G character first appeared as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sasha Baron Cohen got his start there, yeah. And even sort of like Mackenzie Crook was involved, you know, mm. pre-The Office. You know, that yeah. was his thing. Like, it's where he met Ricky Gervais. Yeah, the 11 o'clock show, who knew? It was uh, such a big thing. And these two were producers on that. They would have been, I don't know, early 30s, I guess. So that would have been still quite young as producers go and they were writers and mm. and so that's where they met each other and they would write sketches and you know with the 11 o'clock show it was all kind of written on the day and thrown together in a really haphazard way and uh, yeah. that's it's a bit loose if you ever see any of it now but mm. like you say that sort of thing is a real breeding ground for comedy and obviously lots of people made connections there and then they both worked as commissioning editors for channel four so essentially they would be looking at scripts and, and developing scripts and then going, okay, this is no good. This is good. For example, the Ricky Gervais show, he got his first, mm. like his chat show as, as such, was on Channel 4 under their yeah. watch, under Ian Morris's watch. Ian Morris was commissioning editor for Channel 4 for quite a few years. So they were 
producers as such, but then you won't even see them credited as a producer. They're kind of executives, you know, they're studio yes. guys. They're, they're, they're the Channel Channel 4's producers. And then when Ian Morris left Channel 4, the bosses like went, look, you're, you're a funny guy. Why don't you actually write something for us? Write a sitcom. <laughs> like, actually write something for us instead of just looking at everybody else's stuff. And so that's what he did, and he got together yeah. with Damon Beasley, and the in-betweeners was what they wrote, or Baggy Trousers, the pilot for Baggy Trousers, is yeah. what they wrote. At first, it was seemed like it wasn't going to happen. They That's why they, they toyed with setting it in the 80s, and it was just like, that's just too expensive to do that. It's, it's, you know, we have yeah. to mess about so much in terms of hiding things and then the sets and stuff like that. And also, it, it's it's not it doesn't matter. This stuff still plays. Yeah. So that was the first decision to be made. But then also, there was doubt that they would find young actors that were good enough to sell it. Uh, to to act mm-hmm. uh, to, and do the comedy it's like you can't do comedy with teenagers it just doesn't work or, or even people look like teenagers and so that's why the casting became such a big thing yeah. apparently they 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 had a go at writing it same thing but they're in their 20s and they kind of live together or something and it just didn't work it didn't play and i think that's really crucial part i agree i think show. i think if, if they're responsible adults that then their behavior is irredeemable <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah Damon Beasley and Ian Morris are writing together. They they worked with Flight of Concords. They wrote a couple of episodes of the TV show Flight of the Concords. So they're like they're really well connected with other comedy Taika people. Man, I suppose Taika Waititi is a massive Hollywood star now, but he wasn't then, was he? He was just a New Zealand guy writing a sitcom. He wasn't then, but Taika Waititi next film that he's doing is written by uh, Ian Morris. They they still work together now. Really, the US version of the In Betweeners. Uh, which we'll talk about later, mm. I think. Several episodes of that was directed by Taika Waititi, be- slightly before he went kind of full Hollywood, but obviously right. was working in America by that point. Yeah. Yes, Damon Beasley and Ian Morris, they, they wrote The Inbetweeners and they helped cast it and they're, you know, really involved uh, uh, creatively right the right way through. And it's obviously very personal, you know, it's obviously coming from a, a, a place of truth. And I think that really, yes. really sells it. As, from what I understand, like Ian Morris's will... Damon Beasley is Simon. That's the basic, <laughs> the basic, uh, you know, facts. Which is perhaps why those two characters are slightly more rounded, yes. uh, rather than just straightforward comedy characters. Well, if we if we can move on to what what else they did, I know that they wrote White Gold after this. And what I didn't know until we started talking was about this baggy trousers of the period thing. So White Gold is it's set in the eighties. It's about double glazing salespeople, salesmen, um, and Joe Thomas and James Buckley are in that. But, but what I wonder is, was White Gold, you know, fulfilling those period sitcom desires? Well, White Gold is just written by Damon Beasley, not okay. Ian Morris. I think Ian Morris may be a producer on it because I think it's their production company. But uh, Damon Beasley wrote it. But yeah, he, I heard him say when he was talking about setting the Inbetweeners in the 80s, he said something like, oh, I did a sitcom in the 80s later and it was just really expensive and unnecessary. So oh. <laughs> it was yeah. a good good thing we didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are you familiar with White Gold? Yeah, yeah, we I watched, watched a little it, yeah. bit of it. I enjoyed it. It was, I think, part of the problem it has is exactly what we just said. In that mm. the character, basically, Joe Thomas plays exactly the same character. He's like yeah, Simon, yeah. ten years older, working in double glazing. He's a very bad salesperson because he's too honest. And then James Buckley is just like Jay if he was a double glazing salesman in the eighties. Yeah. It's, it's well, what, what I said five minutes ago about how this wouldn't work. Oh, sorry, how the in betweeners wouldn't work if they were adults because yeah. their behaviour wouldn't be. <laughs> wouldn't be redeemable and yeah actually that's what white gold is <laughs> beasley and morris have most re- recently written a show called the first team which is about young premier league footballers um which i've, I've seen some little clips of and stuff it's hard to get hold of because i haven't seen it's it. on the bbc and um, 
they're not showing it. But yeah, I wasn't impressed by what I saw particularly. But one thing I noticed about that uh, and White Gold is that they were both quite overproduced, very cinematic and, and mm. very trying to look cool, uh, which has its place. But I don't think that place is TV sitcom. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really like about The Inbetweeners is how gritty it is. It's 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 not quite documentary style, which is what The Office is going for. But it is just really simple. It doesn't feel like there's much lighting. You know, it always just yeah. feels overcast. It, it's obviously just shot on a couple of quick camera shots, you know. Mm. And I really like that. It, it suits the griminess of the setting, this kind of just boring suburbia sort of thing. And it, it's Brit- it feels British. <laughs> it's yes. such a British comedy and it, yes. it suits that, I think. When they do, they even in the films, when they've also got a bit more budget, they throw in a few bits and pieces. But I think actually tonally it works really nicely. It just just enough to make it feel a little bit bigger and go, hey, look, we've got a bit of money to play with. But mm. it still maintains that style. Although I must admit, in the, in the third series, they do something I don't like, which is kind of a fake handheld thing where it, it's an obvious post-production. They just put a slight wobble on the camera <laughs> just to make right. it look like it's handheld. And it really jumps out at me when you, you can tell when something's properly handheld because there's slight movements, but it's controlled and it's smooth because there's someone trying to keep it smooth. Yeah. Where this fake handheld thing, it just, yeah, it's a bit of a pet hate of mine. Shall we go back to our episode? Let's jump back into our episode. Uh, we, we're we about to come to our big kind of action climax. So they go out <laughs> on this boat. It's just a disaster. It, it, what I like about this entire scene is it's one thing on top of the other. So Will's already annoyed because he was supposed to be on this boat with Lauren and now he's stuck with these three idiots. Then Simon stands up. They start to wobble the boat. Simon falls in. He's very cold. <laughs> the motor won't start again. Jay, who has no concept of the seriousness of the situation, <laughs> decides that he's going to set off a flare because that'll get the sea police out. <laughs> then Neil catches a fish. We'd forgotten that he'd thrown the fishing line <laughs> overboard. It seems very cruel that this fish is drowning, so he punches it to death. <laughs> and, and then we, are aware, we suddenly become aware that everybody, the entire rest of the school, is standing 20 metres away on the dock watching this all unfold. It's, it's a really funny sequence. It's just, it's just one disaster on top of another. It's very funny. And it is perfect uh, location scouting, I guess, that they are 20 metres away from the shore and they're, and they're in a little harbour thing. They're absolutely in no danger mm. whatsoever unless they fall in the water. Like, that is literally the only <laughs> thing that could go wrong. And so, obviously, Simon falls in. Oh, and, he's, and there's nudity as well. So, Simon, get his wet clothes off. So, Simon's naked oh, yeah, throughout yeah. his entire entire. Which he is so often. <laughs> yeah, show. yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the DVD, there's quite a, little, a, a nice little featurette about this whole thing, about him having to fall in the water and all that, right. and then him having to do the practice falls and making sure he falls in exactly the right way, and he's got a wetsuit on underneath the clothes. Ah, uh, okay. Um, it was filmed in January, so it was just freezing cold. Oh, my God. And so, obviously, he falls in for real. We see that. And then they just very quickly film him... And they say, okay, stick your head under and bob back up as if you've just come up out of the water. And they film him doing that. And then they have to quickly film him getting back into the boat. And they have to do all this in about 90 seconds because otherwise he's going to freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's, so, it's obviously genuine. Like he's just got enough sense to bob down and say his lines once. That's all yeah. they get. Yeah. And then he kind of trundles along to the boat and 
he said when he was talking about it, he was saying, I had to maneuver myself up to the boat so that they could drag me in and film them dragging me in. And I was struggling to do that. And they had, and they have a diver there, obviously, who kind mm. of just grabs yeah, him yeah. and pushes him into the place. And then they go, action. It's like, it's so genuine. That cold hits you so hard. You, you How quickly oh, I did you a, just can't maneuver. A couple of winters ago, I did a Boxing Day swim, which seemed like a good idea at the time. I thought, <laughs> oh, that'll be, that'll be an invigorating way to start my post-Christmas holiday. And um, we swam at this little lake and it was all organized. There was safety cover and everything. But you basically, you swam about 10 meters. There was a bell to ring and then you swam back. And that was the, you know, that was the... Honestly, I I didn't think I was going to make it back from the bell. I got in and I would describe it was like acid was eating at my skin. I felt like I was <laughs> going to dissolve in there. It was so cold. It was awful. The most one of the worst experiences of my entire life. So I can I can relate. <laughs> so yeah, it certainly seems that Joe Thomas was always the the one who was game to do stuff, and that's why his character ends up the one being naked yeah. or, or having something disgusting thrown on him because they knew he as an actor would just go, yeah, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> like yeah. it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, yeah, he does end up naked because they think hypothermia is going to set in, so undressing is the best thing to do, which yeah. is probably true, but also involves having a naked, uh, naked man in your boat with you, and then they all have to huddle for warmth, which is <laughs> while. All their teenage friends watch them. <laughs> obviously, extremely embarrassing. And I, I like what Will does in all this, in that he obviously understands the gravity of the situation, but he also doesn't want to just go, we need to shout for help. We need to get help. He, wa- he wants to manage the situation himself. Yeah, and, and yeah he wants to prove Not to save the it. day to be the hero, just but just to not be the dickhead who got everyone yes. <laughs> on the boat. Yeah, just the humiliation. <laughs> yeah, which I like that. I think there's the, the kind of the more subtle character stuff that's going on in mm-hmm. here is great. And mm-hmm. like you say, Jay just is just laughing. <laughs> yeah. Simon, there's no, no sense of what's going on really and how serious this is. And so the episode ends with, with something of a damp squib. It's kind of our ending. And then well, that's we, it. We that's the climax. Really, they, we don't they really all... get a proper ending with the Lauren story or the Carly stuff. The, well, that's the hence the voiceover. Teacher. I said there's a little voiceover. Oh, then Lauren moved away. End of story. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they just all sort of trudge off the boat as everyone's pointing and laughing at them. And that's it. End of the, sh- end yeah. of the episode. Yeah, it feels slightly a uh, rushed ending. <laughs> but yeah. I guess it works. The, the other note I've made here that to talk about, which is relevant here. So that's a great example of Simon, the normal one, be, you know, literally endangering his life because of the idiocy of these three other morons. And I kind of think all the way through the in-betweens, I'm thinking, why, why, is he, why is he putting up with these people? And then at the very last episode, he has this rant. So his car goes in the... They're going on this camping trip. He's moving away to Swansea. They're going on the camping trip. Yeah. The car goes in the lake, which is entirely Jay's fault. Yes. He, he, he completely snaps. I've wasted my life hanging around with you fucking morons. I can't wait to move to Swansea. I fucking hate you. Fuck off. Fuck off. Come on, Si. Come out of the water and dry off. I'm sure we'll think of something. You never think of anything. You've just got an accent that makes us think you're clever, but you're not. You're just as much of a fucking idiot as these two. A bit harsh. You wankers. You total, total wankers. Oh, God. God, God. And, and it's this moment of clarity. And of course it doesn't last, because Neil says, do you want a lager, Si? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> and, you know, everything's... They just go back to having a beer. But it, it, I, I just... I wanted him to have that moment of clarity perhaps more often. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. I guess that's another thing about school. You kind of, you get stuck with your mates. <laughs> yeah. just like the, you change quite a lot over five years, but it's like, oh, well, we're mates now. <laughs> yeah, where else is he going to go? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Just to give you a little bit of a bit more history of how the show came about, because I think this is really interesting. It's something we've mm. talked about before in terms of the diversification of TV channels when we talked about Time Gentlemen, Please. But really, the, the, the only reason in between is exists is because of E4 which okay. was a Channel 4 spin-off thing. It was just one of their extra channels, mm. which they used for music videos and 24-hour Big Brother coverage and stuff like that. But it was aimed at a youth demographic. It was aimed at a younger audience, that channel. And that is basically why The Inbetweeners got made, because, like I was saying, they were, when it was first written, they were like, well, we're not going to find teenagers who can do this. There's not, there isn't an audience for it. And then E4 came along. Not that it didn't exist before that, but then E4 was a sort of like, okay, well, maybe this is the place where it can get made. So was it commissioned to go on E4 then? Uh, yes, ultimately, when it was officially kind of commissioned for a series, yes. And that was down to E4 kind of decided, rather than trying to make lots of different shows, let's put all our eggs in kind of two baskets. We'll do one drama and one comedy. And that was Skins and the Inbetweeners, aimed at teenagers. And uh, someone said the in-betweeners is what being a teenager was really like. And Skins is what you wanted it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Skins is all about debauchery. And and they, obviously those two shows were huge, big successes. And and they kind of, they put all their budget into them. And obviously this isn't a huge budget show, uh, relatively speaking. But it it found a good audience. Um, The original series uh, started with a few hundred thousand viewers and grew to about half a million. Mm-hmm. Which was solid for E4 at the time, yeah. you know, yeah. that's not big viewers number shit, but you're aiming at a very specific audience. And then it won a couple of awards, you know, it won some comedy awards, it was getting attention, yeah. and it got repeated on Channel 4. Then, by the time the second series came out, it was doing, it started doing much bigger numbers, it had a million viewers. But, yeah. what changed that? What helped find its audience? Was that it went on the streaming platform on the website, and more people were watching it there than when it went out on TV. And and well, all of a sudden, this is two thousand and eight. So like, so that's that must have been one of the first new. streaming successes. Yeah, and it was that was kind of the like, oh wait, this is actually a success. Five hundred thousand, nothing special, but actually, look at this. Look how mm. many viewers it's getting here. And like nowadays, that seems like that's part of the business plan. But back sure. then, that was kind of like, oh, this is new. And then by series three, it was a big a big show, and and it had bigger viewers. In fact, when I looked up viewing figures for E four. Its six highest viewing figures were the six episodes of series three wow. of uh, the Inbetweeners. They all got like three point five million viewers, right? Which for E four seems like a lot. It's certainly more than anything else they ever put on. So this perhaps explains why I didn't see it at the time, and I I, I saw all three series together, but probably not yes. long after that. That was the secret to its success, really, and uh, it was kind of just again, as we see so often, right place, right time, just the right thing, just turning up. But then, obviously, the reason it's success is great casting and and really good writing. Mm. And obviously, after the series, they did two films, mm-hmm. uh, which was not intended. They were they did the one film and thought, oh, that's quite a nice way to round it all out. Yeah, and it was a huge success. So the film had a budget of three and a half million. And they made 57 million at the box wow. office. I mean, a huge success. And so they did the second one basically through popular demand. And <laughs> there wasn't, they didn't really intend to do that. And then 
sensibly accepted that it's like we can't do any more now Look, these guys are 30 years old they can't be playing 18 well and the characters are you know we've, we've discussed this when the characters are adult it doesn't work <laughs> yeah yeah and how they approach the film is that the first one is them at uni and meeting up and uni and going for a lad's holiday it's like okay yeah. that's what teenagers do that's that makes sense and then the second one is them kind of going traveling and it's kind of a gap year thing uh-huh. so it works. I think they're getting away with it. But yeah, like what what else can you do? Like where else do you go with that? Yeah. And I like the films. I think they have some flaws. And um, But uh, I do generally like them. But we're going to talk about the films, the first one specifically, on our sister podcast, Diminishing Returns. It's your sister so. podcast. It's not my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that will, we'll talk about the films in some more detail on that. And that will go out on our stream here as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit more in between this discussion to you at some point in the future. Yeah. The Inbetweeners in general picked up quite a good international audience. To say it's a very British feeling show, it has traveled the world quite considerably and not as remakes, but as, as it is. So it seems to really resonate with people from all over the place. I guess teenage boys are teenage boys. Yeah. yeah. But there's something very British about this. And so, well, I think so as well, but it, it's interesting that you say it. So it's, it's been successful internationally. I, you know, maybe maybe the, the things that we are laughing at, although they feel very parochial and British to us, maybe they are universal. Maybe teenage mm. Spanish boys are arseholes as well. <laughs> there has been an American remake of The Inbetweeners. Yes, yes. Now, I'm aware of this. And, and you sent me a clip on YouTube and I, I watched the clip. But I, and that was enough. I mean, I, I reached about three minutes, and that was plenty. <laughs> yes, when I looked it up, the first episode is on YouTube. I don't know how legitimately, so um, that's easy to watch if you want to go and try it out. But there's also quite a few things on YouTube of people comparing the two um, mm-hmm. in a mostly negative light. Because yes, the US in betweeners, they've basically taken the scripts as they are and haven't done a lot to convert them. But what they have done is trimmed them down because it's a, a, a slightly mm. shorter time slot. They seem to have amalgamated a few things. And they've taken out some of the language that is such an important part <laughs> of the in-betweeners. And, and I think there's something very British about the type of swearing they do in the in-betweeners. Yeah. I mean, the word wanker is obviously a, a good example. But it's not just... Yeah, I mean, you're right. But it's not just the vocabulary. It's the, it's the creativity. The creativity of swearing yeah. that uh, I just don't think translates in America. Yeah. So, for example, the best example of this is when Jay leans out the car and... and was they're traveling past a bus stop and shouts, bus wankers. It's a, it's a beautiful moment. It's something that I'm sure many people have copied. I think that is a, that is a moment that gives the lie to the theory that swearing is not big and not clever. I mean, that is funny. Yeah. It's, and it's funny because it's swearing. That's it. <laughs> yes. Well, in the American version, when they recreate that scene, uh, obviously wankers doesn't play in America. And so the guy leans out and shouts, bus turds. No, that's not. Bus, bus turds. Work. Bus turds. It doesn't make any sense, does it? You need an extra syllable. It just doesn't... There's no poetry to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that's a problem. And then just the whole show is just not put together that well. It's And, and we've talked about the casting of this and how much we mm. you can tell that the actors are pulling in their own... Not necessarily own personality ex- exactly, but their own personal energy into these characters. And it's translating as character. Whereas the American version has just got some actors that they've just shoved in. The Neil character is just an idiot. There's no yeah. there's no sort of charm to it at all. I'm telling you guys, I spent the entire summer trapping beaver. Okay, that's the thing about RV girls, is that they all have the same thing in common. They're poor? No, these girls are sluts, dude. And they'll do it to you for hours. 
so good at sex now. Really? So what is the best way to do it then? Deep. Just like real deep to the balls. Do you put the balls in? What? I heard you gotta put your balls in if you really wanna get a girl off. Yeah, you can. It's preference. Some girls like it, some girls don't. Personally, I like to go and pass the balls. It doesn't even make sense. Yes, it does. No, because you've never had sex with anyone and neither have I and neither has Neil. I think the Jay character has potential, but they've sort of half gone with something else. They need to commit to it. Kind of like The Office did in the second series when they really committed to their new style and didn't try and rely on that, mm -hmm. on the original British version. So I think maybe it just didn't find its feet, but also the way it's shot, the way it's done, the timing just isn't there. So, but yeah, so that was something of a failure. It did just get chucked out after one series. And, and the in-betweeners, uh, as is, has sort of traveled the world just in its own in its own form. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about what everyone did after this. We've So we've, we've talked about Damon Beasley and Ian Morris, what they've done, uh, their work since, certainly in comedy. Simon Bird and Joe Thomas have continued to work together uh, mm -hmm. on some things. So. You mentioned Johnny Sweet earlier. He was their, he was their university yes. Pal and, and flatmate, and they all made a program called Chickens together. Which uh, did you right. see that? I, I watched that. I watched that going into it, thinking, "Oh, this is the, the lads from the In Betweeners. This will be great." And it was a bit. Yeah. It wasn't very good. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I've watched a bit of it. Well, the the conceit is that it's set in the First World War, another period sitcom, um, mm -hmm. and these are the three guys left in the village. Everyone else has gone off to war, and they've decided they're not going to war. They're, they're chickens, and so all the women in the village hate them. Which you know they should remember from the In Betweeners. It never seemed to click for me. It never, I never quite got comfortable with the characters. Mm. Well, it's not funny. I think is a rather yeah, crucial uh, failing on this part. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it is. It is like, what if Will and Simon from the In Betweeners were in 1914 and yeah. didn't go to war? Yeah. It's, it's it's the same characters, and and again, I think they really suffered from that. God, it's too much, isn't it? Too obvious. Um, George, have you seen? I can wear it like this if I want to. What are you talking about? I'm talking about my tie. How can you not notice? I've tied it in a German knot. Der Flomsgemeiner. Yeah. Can't tell the difference, but... You're bloody joking. It's completely different. Look at it. Two interlocking strands fastened at the neck and then extending down the body to the belly button. That's what a tie is, mate. Stick your head in the sand if you like, Cecil. I'm sending a message to the people of Rittal. No, you're sending a dirty letter from your fiancé to another man. But Joe, Joe Thomas's major success outside in between us was probably Fresh Meat, which he was mm -hmm. the regular in that, which again is, you know, students, freshers at uni. Yeah. Uh, I never what saw if that. Simon went to university and made new friends, yeah. basically yeah. what it is. And that show did really well. It was very successful and stuff. Um, I am not particularly familiar with it, so I don't want to judge it too harshly. Well, you mentioned White Gold, which uh, which Simon Tom jo sorry Joe Thomas was also in. But I think the, yeah. the big thing for Simon Bird, which I would say is probably as big as In Between Us, mm. is Friday Night Dinner. Yes, so that, that's I mean that's unfortunately one of the casters just died, so I don't think they're going to be making any more of those. But that that no, went on no. I think for six series, and that's a that's a great sitcom. Yeah, that started in 2011, so it was pretty much off the back of In Between Us. That's what he went on to do next. Mm. Yeah, Friday Night Dinner has been really successful. It's not something I'm particularly familiar with. You, oh, you've you're seen not. it. Oh, well, you? perhaps I can uh, I can help you with that one then. It's, Go on then. You tell me. About it's it. um, <laughs> well, it's written by a guy called Robert Popper, who um, mm. has done a bit of sketch comedy before that. Quite a funny guy. If you ever hear him interviewed, he, he sort of seems like one of those naturally funny people. Um, I think I think I once had a writing lesson from Robert Popper. Go on. Back in, oh God, when would this have been? About 2007, I did a writing course. It was like an adult education thing, like an evening class thing. And the guy who taught it 
uh, one week he wasn't available, and so he arranged for a friend of his to come in and fill in. And it, I'm pretty sure it was Robert Popper. <laughs> like, it's a fairly memorable name, and I've seen picture of him. I'm like, I'm sure that's him, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he was a comedy writer, and he was. I'm not sure that counts as an anecdote if you don't really remember him. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I think uh, yeah. So he obviously he was a uh, already a kind of working sketch writer at that point. But, mm. um, but yeah, Friday Night Dinner has been his. Well, Friday big Night Dinner success, is not it? It's the the conceit of it is it's a, a a London Jewish family. Paul Ritter and Tamsin Gregg are the parents, and their two grown up sons, Simon Bird and Tom Rosenthal. Every Friday night they come back home for for dinner, and each episode is a sort of real time. Half hour, they get there, they have dinner, something goes wrong, the neighbour comes round. Mark Heap is every week, he's the neighbour who comes round with his dog every week. And Mark Heap, who I'm a massive fan of, he's, he's brilliant yeah. in Friday Night Dinner. But, but it works. I think, you know, we're talking specifically about Simon Bird. And there is an element of will about the character here. But, mm. but, but I think that's okay, because the other characters aren't. The other characters are all... Yeah. You know they're very different. You you couldn't really map the other in between us onto them. The chemistry between the the family works really well. It's a, it's a really good series. I would recommend you go and have another look at it. Well, Simon Bird and Joe Thomas are both kind of comedy creatives. They they want to write stuff. They want they've both directed stuff as opposed to necessarily being straightforward actors. Whereas James Buckley and Blake Harrison are both actors. They're actors. primarily yeah. So. Yeah, their their CVs are a little bit more full post uh, in between us, but that doesn't necessarily mean all that successful. So <laughs> with James James Buckley, I think they've they've tried to do a few things with him. So very similarly to Fresh Meat in in two thousand and nine. So this was just after the in between us had made him a bit more of a success. He was in a he was in something called um, Off the Hook, which is about freshers going to uni. Um, okay, and. It didn't work. That I mean, I've watched a bit of that. It's pretty poor, and it's certainly not well produced. No money there, obviously. Right. And he, but he plays a very different character in that. He plays like this morose, depressed character. But I would argue he's not very good at playing that type of character. Yeah. <laughs> he's just really missing the energy that he can bring to something. Look, I know you like Danny, but you're wasting your time. He's got his eye on that Becky girl. What do you think I like Danny? I can sense these things. Uh, so that that disappeared pretty quickly. Uh, then, of course, quite famously, he played Del Boy in the in Rock and Chips, Rock and the, Chips the yeah. prequel to Only Fools and Horses. Now, Alan, I knew that, but I've never seen Rock and Chips. So, how how does he mm. do in that role? I'm I don't uh, imagine if Jay from the Inbetweeners was a <laughs> sort of a young market trader in the, in the sixties. <laughs> basically, what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't think it works uh, particularly well. I'm afraid. Another show that I think did pretty well. I've heard good things uh, called Zapped. Yeah. In which uh, James Buckley is a kind of ordinary guy who gets transported to some like fantasy Game of Thrones kind of world with wizards and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things that that kind of has some quirky ideas and it does it all okay. right. I must admit, like in terms of clips I've seen, I'd be like, oh. I'm interested. I'd, I'd like to watch more of this. I'd, I'd be interested to see what they're doing with this. Well, the other thing that that I know James Buckley, or the thing I've heard of most recently, uh, we're recording this in the summer of 2021 at the end of nearly 18 months into the pandemic. Mm. And one of the big successes of the pandemic and the lockdown was Cameo. You know, this this service where you could get oh, a yeah. celebrity to record a personalised message for, for you or for someone else. And apparently James Buckley has done more Cameo videos than anyone else in the world. Oh, really? He's not necessarily <laughs> earned more because I don't think his fee is in the top tier. But he churns them out. He's churning out dozens of the damn things. Yeah, I can see that. 
But if you're getting fifty quid a time or whatever it is, like why I'm, not? Oh yeah, he does. Well, he does do the streaming. He's on the YouTube and the Twitch and all that. He does a yeah. lot of that. So he's very engaged with a kind of core audience in that sense, yeah. and does podcasting and all that kind of thing. So Blake Harrison, I think, is not necessarily the most successful of the lot, but certainly the most actory of the lot. I think he's the one who's gone furthest from the in betweeners. Yeah, and I think that is largely because that character of Neil was less him. Like, I think all the others, they do, they've brought so much of themselves into that character that it's then hard to get away from it, where yeah, he is much yeah. more playing a character. So they've had a they've had a crack with him several times to try and give him a lead. He did a he did a, a show called Way to Go straight after the Inbetweeners uh, mm-hmm. that didn't really do anything. He did he did a show called Big Bad World, which he's the central character, and it's like what if Neil from the Inbetweeners had to go back and live with his parents, even though he's in his mid twenties. <laughs> but it's not it, that's a that one's a bit harsh. It's because he's not quite <laughs> Neil from the Inbetweeners. But you know, here's another odd little thing: Big Bad World. So that was a sitcom he did in 2013. Mm. I'm in that. I, I was oh, in that. Yeah. <laughs> I was an extra on an episode of that. <laughs> back when I first moved to London, I was doing some extra work back then, and uh, that was one of the few things I oh, did. How, did. how did Blake Harrison treat the little people? Oh, he was lovely. <laughs> I didn't uh, didn't have any specific interactions with him, but it all seemed quite nice. He was a regular in The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret. That ran for okay, quite a few I remember years. That, yeah. And then, perhaps most notably in terms of sitcom history, he played Pike in the Dad's Army film ah, that they okay. threw together. Which, again, imagine if Neil from The Inbetweeners was in the home front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? I can see the similarity of characters there, though. Yeah. And then, he's most recently, he's having a regular role in a sitcom called Kate and Koji, which Brenda Blethyn is in, and mm-hmm. he's a regular in that. Uh, which I'm, I again, I haven't seen, and I, I managed to find a few clips on the BBC website, and it, it looks okay. It's a pretty class. It looks much more of a classic sitcom. It's certainly on yeah. a, set on a stage. And Blake Harrison is, is also he's done a bit of musical theatre. Like I, I was watching something. He was in The Waitress. Like he, he was in the West End run of that. Mm-hmm. And he certainly seems to have a, a, a sort of more varied career than some of yeah. these other guys. Also, when you see him being interviewed and stuff, like now, I guess he's sort of getting into his mid to late 30s now. He's got a ruggedness about him that's really, like he's aged well. You know, he doesn't seem like such a kind of lanky yeah. <laughs> uh, mess anymore. <laughs> he's got... Yeah. He's, I think it sounds like he's the one who's least least trapped by the legacy of the Inbetweeners. But having said that, they all seem quite happy with the legacy of it. It seems like they had a good time doing it. And Damon Beasley and Ian Morris still work together and all that. So it seems like the Inbetweeners was an all-round really positive experience for everyone. And certainly um, made some careers. Yeah. So that's the Inbetweeners. I think probably fair to say that it's the one that we've related to most Definitely. Uh, personally of all the ones we've looked at so far. Do you think that's because it's the most recent or is it because it's genuinely well written and something that is very relatable? I think uh, most of what we've looked at is well written generally. Um mm. But uh, yeah, I think it's that relatability. It's something that we particularly can relate to. And I think this is something that most boys, particularly, certainly teenage boys could relate to. And I think we're just kind of the right generation for that to work as well. I, I would be curious yeah. to see how a teenager now would, would watch this. I think it's just, it's just caught at that tail end of technology where they're just sort of getting phones and stuff they there's the occasional yeah. text message and stuff but we don't really rely on that sort of stuff i feel like things have changed a lot in the last 20 yeah, years you're probably right it would be interesting to know how it plays with women perhaps of our age you know could they relate to that te- those teenage years in quite the same way i 
probably not. I don't, I'm certainly not going to start trying to speak for women. But, you know, I, I think the relatability is very male. Yes, I agree. Perhaps a, perhaps a good way to sign this off then would be to talk about Drifters, which is oh, a sitcom yes. that I haven't seen. I, I will I be honest. Um, uh, I, well, yeah, let me qualify that. I have seen it, but I only watched two episodes. Read into that what you will. I remember when okay. it came on and it was very much pitched as a sort of female equivalent of the in-betweeners. And I think, didn't Damon Beasley and Ian Morris produce it but not write it? Jessica Knappett wrote it, didn't she? That's right. So it was, that's the impression I've got that it's kind of a female in-betweeners. It's Damon yeah. Beasley and Ian Morris are the uh, executive producers, yeah. Um, so they were kind of behind it. But also Jessica Knappett, who wrote it, and Lydia Rose Bewley, who's one of the other main actors, mm-hmm. they both are in the in-betweeners the movie film, yeah. as, as the, uh, the kind of the female. I, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Alan. I watched two episodes of it and didn't watch any more, and I can't really remember much about it. So, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not great podcasting, but it tells you everything you need to know about my opinion of it. Well, interestingly, they, they are supposed to be early 20s, right, rather than mm, they're older. teenagers. So, yeah, perhaps you can't get away with as much there. And... Well, the, the, the name, the drifters, is that they, you know, they've sort of finished university and they're sort of drifting into jobs and they're drifting through life yeah. and they don't really know what they want to do. That's the, that's the setup. But, 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 you know, we said the in-betweeners couldn't work once they get beyond those teenage years. This is, you know, mm. this is different. I'm not, I'm not saying that it can't work because there are, there are adult characters in it. But perhaps it can't work in, as a female in between us. I don't know. Are you a woman? Have you watched Drifters? We would like a woman's yeah. opinion. I, I, I really do think that we need a female voice here. Unfortunately, no women listen to this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we love hearing from our listeners on social media. But now I come to think about it, all the interactions I've had have been with blokes. We are a load <laughs> of nerds, aren't we? Yeah, blokes and my mum. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening, and we are now at the end of our series. We will now go on hiatus until the next series starts in January, but we'll try and populate this feed a little bit with some extra content, such as the reviews of In Between Us movies. We've also got a Christmas special lined up, so do join us for that. In the meantime, please do check us out on the social medias. We are at BritcomPod on Instagram and Twitter, And please do check out the YouTube channel, British Sitcom History. We do have further content over and above the podcast on there. Thank you all very much for listening to this series. And if you have any suggestions for shows we can look at in the future, then please do let us know. We do try and get a nice mix of different time periods and some of the really popular shows and some slightly more obscure ones. We like to mix it up and your suggestions would be very welcome. Thank you all very much and we will see you soon.